get into it too much. This is just going to be skimming across the surface. One thing it does for you, if you ever read it other than in a superficial way, and reading Revelation in a superficial way is like not reading it at all. Because it's, it's just um, entirely different than any other book. But what it does do for you, if you take the time to read it as carefully as you can, and sit down and ponder it, it will draw you very, very close to Christ. Because it shows you what he looks like on the throne of heaven. It shows you his power and his majesty and how everything is subject to him. Now you see images of great evil too because Satan, the great adversary, is standing against him with all of his might. And you see a lot of persecution happening with the church. But you see who overcomes and what he calls you to do. And I just want to read a few verses at the very beginning of Revelation and a couple of verses at the end and then make some comments. I want to read the first six excuse me, the first eight verses of the first chapter. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent, sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecies and heed, pay attention, the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come the Almighty. And then in the last chapter of Revelation, chapter 22. That's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
22. Beginning in 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. At the beginning and the end, you see the glory of God. And in between, you see the glory of God. But in between, you also see the evil one. You also see Satan. And one of the things that Revelation tells us again and again, well, it tells us two things. It says, repent. It calls people to repent so as not to suffer the judgment that's coming on all the earth. And another thing it says again and again is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It says this again and again because obviously we're able to be deceived. And if you think the church can't be deceived, how many times have you believed somebody was telling you something and found out you were wrong? And you're a Christian. We can be deceived just like the world can. Deceive, as you know, means to make a person believe something that's not true. And usually it's a deliberate misrepresentation of the facts in order to accomplish your own purpose, whatever that purpose might be. And scripture talks a lot about deception, not only in the book of Revelation, but throughout. The book of Psalms, uh, chapter 10, is speaking about the wicked and it says his mouth is full of deceit and curses and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness, the one that deceives. And Proverbs 26 says, he who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. So deception finds its root in our heart. There are familiar phrases that teach us that teach us truths that if we pay attention to these phrases, they can um, they can free us from being entrapped. For example, don't judge a book by its cover. Appearances 
can be deceiving. Leap, I've looked before you leap. All of these have their basis in truth and can help us from being deceived. If you want to find out a good way to see what deception looks like, fairy tales are a good way to start. Because fairy tales know this and they can teach us this truth. Let me give you an example of Snow White. You've got an arrogant queen that stands in front of a truth-telling mirror day after day, asking the question, who's the fairest in the land? And day after day, month after month, the mirror says, that's you, queen. Nobody else. You're the fairest that there is. And then one day, she asks the same question. And the mirror this time says, you're not bad, queen. I'm paraphrasing but there's somebody that's much fairer than you are, and it's Snow White. All of a sudden, we see that this queen that is beautiful on the outside, we see what she looks like on the inside, because she becomes enraged, and she becomes determined to get rid of Snow White. And so she tries one thing, she tries another, and finally she dresses up like an old hag with a poisoned apple, to get rid of Snow White to kill her. So finally you see, when she dresses up like a hag on the outside, her exterior becomes a reflection of what was on the inside all along. You want to see another example? Look at Beauty and the Beast. You've got a prince that now looks like a beast. At one time he had everything, except on the outside, he was arrogant. He was prideful. And so a magic spell turned him into a beast on the outside so that he would look like what he really was on the inside. Now eventually he gets changed back because everything changes in his heart. But on the outside, he looks awful because that's what he used to look like on the inside. It, re- it was a reflection. Appearances can be deceiving. Look at Pinocchio. He has one false friend after another that tells him lies, that tells him one thing's going to happen, and all they're doing is deceiving him time after time after time. People and things are not always what they appear to be. first example we see of this is in the Garden of Eden, where Satan comes to Eve and he says, God said that you can't eat of anything. And of course, that's it's very subtle. Scripture says he's crafty. He's subtle. He doesn't come right out and say what, he's gonna, what he knows is going to be uh, something that will be rejected. Regardless, he traps the woman she eats the food and she's kicked out. If you go to the book of Revelation and verse, excuse me, in chapter 12 and 9, it talks about the great dragon who is a picture of Satan. 
And it says the great dragon, and it says he's called the devil. He's also called Satan. It says he's deceived the whole world. That's what he did from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and that's what he's doing still, and this is what he's doing in great wrath in the book of Revelation, deceiving the whole world because his appearance is different on the outside than what he is on the inside. Revelation 13 speaks of a second beast. There's a first beast after the dragon, and there's a second beast. And the second beast is also called the false prophet. And it says he performs signs and wonders and deceives those who dwell on the earth. And when the book of Revelation speaks about those that dwell on the earth, it's speaking about everyone that does not believe in the Lord. It's a euphemism for everybody that's not saved. And he deceives everybody in the whole world because why? Because they don't have a love for the truth. Because a love for the truth means you love the Lord. And if you love the Lord, then you will examine the truth and know what is false. John has a vision in Revelation 17, which shows a woman. And this woman is called the mother of prostitutes. And on the outside, she's amazingly attractive. She sits adorned with all sorts of jewels, wears purple and scarlet, which are robes that are traditionally for those that are the princes and the kings. And this explains why she's alluring to the whole world, because externally, she's beautiful. But Jesus knows as well, or he knows and tells us, that the church can be deceived too. That's why he warns them in the very beginning of the book of Revelation. He looks at the different churches that he's writing to in the first three chapters. And by the way, the first three chapters are as far as most people get in the book of Revelation. Because after that, all the imagery becomes very confusing. But in the first three chapters... Actually, that's chapter 2 and 3. He talks to seven different churches. There's a church at Laodicea that thinks that they are wealthy, that everything is wonderful. And Jesus said, you're poor and naked and wretched. You think you're this, but you're this. There's another church in Sardis that says, you know, we're poor. We don't have anything. We're being persecuted. And Jesus said, you have life. You don't have the physical, but you have the spiritual. So it's an eternal thing. And there are more than, there are other churches that he talks to. He tells another one, you are in entertaining this Jezebel in your church. You're doing a lot of things right, but you don't get rid of this person. And this is a reference to the Jezebel of the Old Testament that brought in Baal worship and almost destroyed Israel. So here it is, someone in the church that claims to belong to the Lord, that entertains this person that brings in idol worship. 
In other words, you can mix this with this and everything's okay. You're deceived. You're deceiving your people and you're going to be judged if you don't repent. And again and again, he tells us that you have to stand fast, that you cannot be deceived and expect to inherit the kingdom. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus' disciples asked him, what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus' answer is a little different than what we would like it to be. He says, see to it that no one deceives you. What's going to be a sign of the end of the age? And he says, don't be deceived. He says, many are going to come claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. Don't be deceived. He says, false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders in order to see the very elect, even the elect, if that's possible. Even the elect, even the ones that are saved, even the true Christian can be deceived if it were possible. Now he says, I'm going to hold them. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to have all kinds of delusions everywhere. And unless they hold on to the truth, they will be. Then Jesus says that his coming is going to be like the days of Noah. And we talked about Noah a few weeks back. In Noah's day, people were marrying and eating and drinking and completely ignoring everything that pertained to the truth. They were, they were committing all sorts of wicked acts and paying no attention to Noah who preached for 120 years prior to the flood. They were totally without understanding. And so the flood came and destroyed them. Their problem was one of sin, of wickedness, refusal to repent. <clears throat> and the flood came. And if the problem of sin is what caused judgment in the day of Noah, and if sin is still with us, then God's dealing with Noah shows us a pattern of what's going to come again, both in judgment for the wicked and salvation for the righteous. Maybe one of the questions that we should be asking ourselves is what should the book of Revelation do for us? We have to understand what scripture is and what it does. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of marrow and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. <laughs> scripture is alive because God is the author of Scripture. It's not a dead word. It's a living word. It accomplishes.
accomplishes what he wants. God also says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. And in Jeremiah, God says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Scripture is not only for reading and giving us understanding. It's also given to correct us. It puts us on the right course, and it institutes, it dwells us with integrity, with kindness, with obedience, and it calls us to faithfulness. It causes us to know the truth, and it causes us us not to be deceived. We're supposed to recognize our enemies for what they are, what they really are, not what they look like on the outside. We have to look beyond the surface. We have to be discerning so that we're not fooled by something ugly behind the mask on the outside. When revelation works in our heart the way God intended, then we trust, we love, and we fear Jesus more than ever. We won't see the trouble images of the dragon and all the other images in the book of Revelation as something to be terrified of we will focus on Jesus. He's the faithful witness whose word can be trusted completely. He's the conquering lion of Judah. He's the Lamb of God and he's the captain of the armies of heaven. Scripture says his eyes are like flames. He says overcomers will inherit the new heaven and the new earth and will delight in God's provision forevermore. He says we're going to see his face. And he says, stand fast, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The book of Revelation is not an easy read. Much of the subject, well, much of it's subject to different interpretation by different Bible scholars. And the reason for this is that it's written in a style that's different than most of the other books. It's not history, like 1 Samuel. It's not an epistle, a letter, like Romans. It's not a uh, collection of laws, like Leviticus. It's not a book of songs, although there are songs in the book of Revelation, like the book of Psalms. It's not a book of wise saying like Proverbs, yet it has a likeness in some respects or some aspects to all of these books. For the most part, though, it's written in a style called apocalyptic, which comes from a Greek word meaning unveiling. It's a literature that contains revelations of heavenly scenes or events 
that deal with the end of the world and with the beginning, the commencing of the kingdom of God. The second and third chapter, the Revelation, as I said, talk to the different churches and tells you things that they need to repent of. They have commendations from God or they are judgments from God if they don't turn from it. In Revelation, you see a great red dragon. And you see the other names of this dragon, as I mentioned. You see, it's called the devil, Satan. He's called the serpent of old, which is a name that comes from the first book of Revelation, I think the first book of Genesis. He's called the deceiver of the whole world. And there are symbols that show his cunning wisdom, his great power, his authority. And his great ability to influence others, to deceive them. The word devil means slanderer. And slander is speaking false things about another person in order to damage their reputation. So he slanders Christians constantly. He slanders the things of God. And Satan means adversary or opponent or enemy. Someone that wants to fight against you. It shows Satan as the enemy of Israel. The one that that tried to destroy the Messiah. At the very beginning, when he was born. When Herod tried to destroy all the children. Satan failed. And now his rage is directed against the church. Those that belong to the Lord. In Revelation, what comes out of your mouth is a symbol. It's a symbol of words and their power. So when you see a picture of the serpent, the dragon, Satan, pouring water like a river out of his mouth, trying to destroy the church, it's a picture of the lies and the blasphemy that comes out that tries to deceive the whole world. It tries to destroy the faithful. It tries to destroy their life. In the first letter, John's first letter, he calls on the church to have discernment to test prophetic spirits because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In contrast to the lies that come out of the mouth of Satan like a great river, you see the image coming out of the mouth of the Lord. And the image that comes out of his mouth is a sharp sword. And this sharp sword is the word of God. It represents truth and judgment in which he destroys all evil. Revelation 19 11 through 16 reads, And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and, his head, and on his head are many diadems. 
and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Out of his mouth, truth, which slays all the enemies. It's significant that the only weapon you see Christ having is the word that comes out of his mouth. That's all he needs. It devastates his enemies. It tears deceit to pieces. So I think the question maybe we need to ask ourselves is since this word is so all important, how faithful are we to the word? Which is all that Jesus will use to defeat his enemies. Revelation is addressed to a church that's under attack. Those that hold to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus are called to endure and to stay pure. John was given this revelation while he was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, and he was there, Scripture says, because of the Word of God. And only because he was a witness for Jesus, he was in prison. The purpose of revelation is to wake us up. To wake us up to the reality and the scale of the battle and the scale of the battle that's raging around us all the time. It's causing us to draw closer to Christ because what is coming, we don't know when maybe, but we know it's a surety. We know it's absolutely going to happen. Wake up. Don't be deceived. We're supposed to look and realize what the strategies of the evil one are so that we'll respond to the attacks with faithfulness and perseverance. And Revelation also reveals what the enemy looks like behind his mask. Again, this is not an easy book to read. And we often avoid it because it confuses us. And if we do read it, the images that it displays leads to all sorts of wild speculation. And we're not helped very much by the innumerable sermons that we hear and books that we read most of them are uh, eminently forgettable because they're they're crazy and they they just go away from what the book is trying to tell you but if we read it carefully the one thing that we'll do again is be drawn closer to the Lord the third verse of chapter 1 again says, Blessed is he who reads and, they, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. There's a lot in Revelation, but the fundamental things are at least these. The sovereignty of God, 
over both natural and supernatural forces. The fierce hatred of Satan and those aligned with him aligned against who? Aligned against the people of God. The return of Christ and his victory over the forces of evil, the judgment that's going to fall on everyone that follows the Antichrist, and the everlasting blessedness of those that belong to Jesus. From beginning to end, Revelation calls God's people to endure. Why? Because they're going to face persecution. Now, the people in the West are not facing the physical persecution that a lot of people in other places are facing. But the people in the West are more like the church in Laodicea. They think they're, they think they're rich. They think everything's fine. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You're poor and you're wretched and you're naked. So we need to wake up. We hear what Jesus says to other places in the past, just like us. And it was not a commendation. Revelation tells us to be faithful to the end and encourages us by showing us the joy that's going to last forever. A couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 5 says, Be sober, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world. And Matthew 7 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from briars? The answer is obviously not. Be aware. And finally, a scripture out of Revelation 13, where John says, I saw another beast. He had seen the first beast earlier. Now he says, I see another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spoke like a dragon. So the second beast, also later called the false prophet, he looks like a lamb but he speaks like a dragon. He's deceiving the whole world. He looks one way, but what he really is, what he really says, deceives the world. You know, Mark Twain is supposed to have said, whether this is true or not, I don't know, I don't worry about the parts of the Bible I can't understand. I have enough trouble with the parts I can't understand. There may be many parts of Revelation that we can't understand very well, but it makes some things very clear. It warns us again and again not to be deceived. It warns of eternal punishment for those that follow 
the lives of the evil one. And it promises life everlasting to those that belong to Christ and who endure to the end. Let's pray. Lord, what can we say except help us to keep our eyes on you? Because if we're determined, Lord, to follow you regardless, and that truth matters and it matters supremely, then we won't fall for lies. That we'll be prepared, Lord, because our lives are living or being led, lived for you day by day, hour by hour. We won't fall into the traps. We won't fall into masks that make things look one way when really they're different. Jesus, we just call on you to help us that your word would be supremely important to us. That it would guide all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our actions. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, the bride and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. A lot of times I think about communion and I think about an example of a supper, of a feast that's coming as we remember who we are in Christ. So as you come this morning, um, thank the Lord for His grace that's allowed you to escape deception. Thank the Lord for his mercy that has called you to be prepared for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And let this be a sign unto you of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Father, we bless you for your goodness and your greatness and your love that you send for us that you will give your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We do remember every time that we do. 
juice represent your body and blood broken and poured out for us to cover our sins. We just ask that you be sanctified and be set it apart for that meaning. song will be from uh, page 18.
and thank you for this word that you've given us. This word that says, let us not add to it or take away from it. For Lord, the curses that are pronounced in this word, Lord, it seems that um, they're pretty explicit. They don't leave much to the imagination. So let us re- let us always be ready to repent. Lord, let us, let us want to repent and come draw close to you. Lord, it is your word that says that it's your kindness that draws us to repentance. So Lord, every day, every hour, every day, let us draw near to you. Let us thank you, Father, for the grace that is to be shown to us by Jesus Christ. Lord, the grace that we have received and the grace that is yet to come, or that future hope that we have, or the, the already possessing and the not yet completely with you. Prepare us, Lord, and cleanse us. Take away our faults and our blemishes. And Lord, may truth and justice and righteousness prevail. Lord, Greg started our meeting with just saying, um, when the end comes and the question comes, how have you lived your life? Have you lived your life for Christ? May it be the the joy of our heart every day, Father, to live for you. Lord, draw us away from foul things and let the righteousness of Christ dwell in us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Lord, we lift up every need in the fellowship to you. And those of our, the ones we we look to, and Lord, those who have needs that we are aware of, and Lord, just ask that your provision would be made for them. That many might believe you and trust you, Father. Lord, we thank you for the work this past week with King's Jewels and the lunch party and, and Crossway and the hand team. And Lord, just pray for the days ahead and all this to come. Lord, we lift up this Peru meeting to you this afternoon. And pray, Father, that you begin fabricating and forming a team of people. Thank your message of hope to pray. Thank you, Father, for the goodness that you have shown us. And thank you, Father, for the fellowship that we have in Christ. We pray these things together in Jesus. Friday night, we went Christmas Easter caroling.